And good morning to those who are watching online as well this morning. Glad you're able to join us, at least in some way. We're kicking off the year, officially, 2019. Our 20th year as the Billabong. Bring it back in, everyone. Rowdy mob. Uh, a quick hi from Kieran and I as well. Um, baby Josiah was born safely and naturally. Um, and we're glad to be back with you for the year. Today officially begins, believe it or not, our 20th year as a church community. And uh, in case you missed it last year or weren't around, our, um, our elders as well as our staff team took some time uh, to, I guess, reshape the vision of the Billabong for the years ahead. And uh, today it's a privilege to just be able to unpack that a little bit as we think about what lies ahead for us as the church and who do we want to be. Now, whether you're a regular churchgoer or not, um, you may have noticed, if you have been to a church or been around church people before, that um, church comes in many different shapes and sizes and expressions and forms. Some are good, some are great and life-giving. Some you may have experienced as not so good. They might have even been destructive. Uh, sometimes we as a church, I hope, have been selfless and loving and life-giving. Sometimes I don't think we have been that. But as we go forward, when we thought about our church and what we desire to be, what is the vision uh, for this church community, this church family, and also thought about the history that we have of being a church uh, who promote life in our communities. That's been our key phrase. The phrase that we came up with for our vision, our destination, was a thriving family of God transforming our communities. Now, we kind of, when we, we had our little retreat, we felt that those words really hit the spot. We, we were going, yep, yeah, we think that is, that is our vision. But we're still pondering, even though we found these words, we're still pondering, what does this really mean? What does a thriving family of God transforming our communities actually look like? Jesus said this once. He said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church is meant to be something that's pretty special. You may have heard of uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. He was an activist, a pastor, a theologian uh, of the last century, and he trained pastors and preachers during the Second World War uh, to preach the gospel and this vision of the kingdom of God amidst uh, a time when the German church was really corrupt. It supported Hitler to some extent. And one day, uh, a friend of Bonhoeffer's read his book called, uh, I think it was called uh, Life Together, and this friend of his observed this vision for Christian discipleship and community, and he went, man, this seems a bit much. And he went to Bonhoeffer's seminary where he trained the pastors and preachers and went, well, this is a bit full on. And he said this to Bonhoeffer. He said, I'm concerned. This is a bit full on. And Bonhoeffer, he took him, his friend, to, to the top of a hill where over this way he could see his seminary where he trained the pastors and preachers. And over this way, he could see a camp where Hitler was training his troops. And Bonhoeffer said, this must be stronger than that. This must be stronger than that. The church must 
be stronger than the culture, the evil regimes, the worldly powers and trends and cultures and influences that would rob people of the beauty and joy that comes from God. This must be stronger than that. I want to talk uh, about this vision to be a, a church, as a church, to be a thriving family of God, transforming our communities by sharing a little on this today, the church we see. And I say we, the church we see, because I believe that I, do, I speak on behalf of um, our team here and hopefully on behalf of many of you who formed this church. Now, if not, I'll happily edit out all the we's later and write in I, but I do believe that I speak on behalf of many of us. The church we see uh, a vision for the Christian community in this place in this time. So let me pray first, and then we'll get into it. Father, thank you so much for this day, this celebration, and everybody here in this room who we get to celebrate with and also those watching online. Thank you, God, for uh, your love Thank you, loving Father, for sending Jesus to die in our place, that we may experience new life by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that as we think about who we want to be as a people of God this morning, that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us to our core, and that you would encourage us as we seek after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, I believe we are all made for community and that we long for community. Now, even us introverts in our own slightly complex and confusing kind of way long for community. Introverts in the house? No, they won't put their hand. Oh, yeah, just, just a hand. That's good. Not all communities are good. Sometimes community can be destructive. Uh, and I, I hope that that's not the majority of your experience, but it, it could be some of it. Uh, but this desire for community, real, good, God-intended community, is inbuilt in us. I believe, as a Christian, that that comes from God because the God of the Bible is a community. God himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is a community that it's, it's so close that this is one God in three persons. Something we'd have to uh, look at another day to unpack that. Human beings are made in the image of God. Human beings have the imprint of God on their lives, and so we are not meant to be permanently alone. And We see this this desire, therefore, for, for community, for relationship everywhere around us. Now, we might also go a step further and say that we are made for and desire family, a special kind of community called a family. Again, your experience of family, it may be a positive one, on the other hand, it may be a negative one. But that desire, that, that longing for God-intended family, that expression of family that God wants, it doesn't change. We all as human beings have it. A pastor friend of mine at a New Life Church on the Gold Coast, Stu Cameron, he says this, Welcome to church. We're just one big, happy, dysfunctional family. Isn't that true? Because no family is perfect, but the church that we see is at its centre Not just a family of any kind, but a thriving one. A thriving family. And that's kind of where we start with our vision for the church we see. I believe that that means kind of healthy, life-giving, honest, authentic relationships. Warts and all. 
This word family was probably the one word that we were most unsure about in forming a vision for this church community. Uh, Because in reality, people's experiences of family are very diverse. Some have a great experience, some have a really negative and destructive experience of of what a family can be. But on reflection, I really feel that that's the very reason it's so important. Because the church is not just to treat each other like family. It's to actually be family to each other the way God intended it. Not the way we've experienced it the way God intended it. When you need a brother or sister who loves you unconditionally, you should be able to find one in the church. When you need a mother or father who loves you, the church should be able to be and can be that family. So we see a church that is not just like a family. Oh, that's like my... No, no, no. We see a church that is one, that is a family, and it's full of real and authentic and loving relationships. Now, that won't happen if it's not also full of smaller families that know how to love each other, healthy people and their families. You might recognise this scripture, husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, honour your mother and father. Parents, don't yell at your children when they do things they probably saw you doing. That was slightly paraphrased. A church full of families that actually looks different to the average Aussie family as if that's what everybody's striving for. But also single mums and divorcees whose lives have been transformed by Jesus and are loving their kids to bring them healing and hope. Single people who give up their time and effort and, and, and to serving and loving others, widows, orphans, anyone who is an image bearer of God and part of this wider family. That is the church we see, Right? A family that's made up of Jesus-centred families and people. And from those relationships will come an overflow of love into the world, an extension of family, if you like. A thriving family full of vibrant life and love and and, and joy-filled relationships. It doesn't just thrive so that it can be a family that thrives and kind of keep that all to itself. We seek to be a thriving family so that we bring that same source of life to others. Extend it out. Share it out. Now that includes the sharing of the life-giving message of Jesus with people, of course. But the message on its own, the message of the gospel, is not that easy to share or accept. It is, after all, an invitation to come and die to yourself. Did you know that? To lay down your life before Jesus, to give up everything for him. It's a tough invitation, a rewarding one, but it's a, it's a tough one. And so if people are to respond to that kind of invitation to come and die to yourself and submit your life to Jesus, then first must come the practical expression of the love of God through our lives in such extravagant love so that others can see the beauty of a life submitted to Jesus, this overflow of a life of family and life-giving family. Let me quote a friend of mine, uh, his name's Andy Hogarth, he pastors the Journey Uniting Church in Adelaide, it'll be on the screen. He said, I don't know if you've noticed, but not everyone is particularly pleased about the gospel, but we are a church that bleeds goodness, that exudes hope for the most barren of situations. It's a church that creates wise, 
and fruitful partnerships to serve the most marginalized and the poor. It's a church that positions the fatherless, the lonely, the vulnerable, the imprisoned to feel that all heaven is cheering them on. It's a church that believes in people's dreams for a better world. We want to be that church. Can I get an amen in the house? That's what Andy would say. The prophet Isaiah wrote this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. So we see a church that's a thriving family, real relationships full of love, and one that overflows into the life of others. The next part of the vision is, of course, the most important. We are a family, not just of anything, but of God. As God's children, if you have forgotten this, I hope it's an important reminder this morning. As God's children, our identity, our worth, our value comes completely from him. And it's from that place of being loved that we can even begin to love others. And so we see a church full of people that know they are known. A church full of people who know they are deeply loved. That is the most important thing of all of this. But as a family of God, we also see a church that believes in the unpopular unbelievable, unexpected and unfathomable power of God. A God who can do all things. A church that seems kind of irrational because we bring everything back to prayer and seeking God for his direction and and choosing to take bold steps that don't seem logical to other people but are full of faith. And even doing things like fasting for wisdom and for clarity from God. There were three practices that Jesus highlighted in his famous Sermon on the Mount. One of them was prayer. We like that one. Another was giving. We accept that one. Another was fasting. Oh no, that's legalism. Don't know about fasting. God made food and food's good, so therefore fasting must be bad. But as a family of God... Maybe even fasting, giving up, this is giving up physical food to focus on spiritual things. Maybe even that would be, maybe that would be a source of life to us and to others. In fact, I want to invite you to join me in a church-wide fast starting right now. No, I'm just... We have a massive feast after church. But next Sunday, next Sunday afternoon, what if we committed... To, to fast and to pray for the remainder of February, just to commit ourselves and our church to God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. We see a church that's known for its God difference, that seeks to be a light in the world, that shines with something different, because that something different in us is the Spirit of God that's alive in us. And so people notice. I ran into one person from the Billabong uh, in the checkout of Woolies a few weeks ago. And this is just somebody who, who, who is vibrant and they interact with other people around them, not in a strange way, but you know, just friendliness and joy, general like joy. And when they left, the checkout person said to me, uh, she's lovely, isn't she? Not knowing that we're from the same church or anything like that. That's what we want. We want people noticing that there's something different, different in us. But, but not only that, a step further, 
They notice so much of a difference that they, they ask, what on earth is wrong with you? Why have you got so much joy or so much peace or maybe so much contentment in this glum world? What is it that you've got that I don't have? And then we may have a chance one way or another to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus and I, I, I hang out regularly with a bunch of people who we just seek to be a family of God. You can come with me if you want one Sunday. That's the church we see. But being a God-marked family, it, it, obviously it's not just about smiles and excitement and kind of a sense of vibrancy either. God reveals himself to us through his word, the Bible. We see a church that is saturated in the word of God, people who are so immersed in this book that they ooze wisdom and encouragement and healing through the revelation of the Father that's in their veins because they're immersed in this book. Now, I know this isn't a physical Bible, but iPads are okay too for reading the Bible. Uh, in the book of Habakkuk, it says, Then the Lord replied, Write down the vision and make it clear on tablets. So, <laughs> I'm back. Uh, we see a church that understands the beautiful, complete, overarching saving message of the whole Bible. I'm reading a book at the moment. It's called God's Big Picture. And it's about how the Bible is one book, not just a library of 66 smaller books that are unrelated. They all relate to each other so much so that they can only really be called one book. Uh, and, and they're about one story, about one character, God as revealed in Jesus. And so if you dig your teeth into this book, a, a, a small warning... If you dig your teeth into this book and you start to study it and educate yourself to understand it better, you, you'll find people who want to dismantle it. You'll find people who want to kind of strip it of its power and turn it into this kind of flawed, inconsistent human construction. Now, this is even well-meaning people who love the Bible, who think it's a, a wonderful, literary, poetic collection of writings, but they question that there's any divine involvement or revelation in it. And yet, if it's just a book, or 66 books, whichever way you look at it, then we have no definitive revelation of who God really is. We have no trustworthy promise of God's love and of God's grace. We have no real hope for life everlasting that we can base our lives on. Just nice ideas and things that we can choose to believe or not. We see a church that believes though, in the written word of God, being alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And that is because the written word of God, the Bible, it reveals to us the word made flesh, who is Jesus, the one who has come to reveal to us the Father in his heart, his love, his grace, his mercy, his passion, his kindness, his patience, his gentleness, his truth, his power. And so that's why our focus uh, this year for 2019, we're going to do things slightly different this year. We're going to focus for the whole year on the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. This is the shortest, most to the point uh, account of Jesus' life. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to look at other parts of the Bible throughout the year as well. We will definitely cover other areas that kind of then point back to what Mark's talking about Jesus' life. But ultimately, because ultimately the whole Bible points to Jesus. But we don't just see a church 
that is simply Bible-believing. It's not the point of saying, you know, we love, we love the Word of God. Not just a church that's Bible-loving and Word-centered and all those phrases. As a family of God, we, we are to be marked by Word and Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who brings to life for us the words of Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit who day by day and hour by hour and minute by minute continues to reveal Jesus to us, not just the Scriptures. It's the Holy Spirit who brings us this fresh revelation each day of who God is, what he's doing, how he loves us, how he's at work in our lives. Now, in the past, I may have given the impression, speaking about these two things, word and spirit, that we kind of need to find a balance. Like one day we read the Bible, the next day we kind of do Holy Spirit stuff, speak in tongues and prophesy or something like that. And I'm sorry if I gave that impression. It's not about finding a balance. It's about both being deeply engaged in the Word and trusting fully in the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives and His revelation of God to us at the same time. We need a wholehearted devotion to both Word of God and to be Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-empowered, hungry for the Spirit, trusting in the Spirit, obedient to the Spirit. So you may ask, well, who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to let my friends, the Casting Crowns, tell you with the words of their song, because I couldn't put it better than this, I don't think. They say, your spirit is a gentleman standing at my hidden doors within, where you wait for me to let you in so you can set me free. Your spirit is also a wrecking ball, tearing through my rebel walls. One by one, I watch them fall till you are all I see. Your spirit is a whispering. When all the lies are deafening, You speak to the very heart of me and fear cannot remain. Your spirit is a light ahead, calling me into the depths and daring me to take a step and let you lead the way. Your spirit is a holy flame, burning all the old away. Here I am, Lord, have your way till all that's left is you. And your spirit is my constant friend. You're with me to the very end. I'll never be alone again. You are the change in me. A thriving family of God knows the Spirit's presence, the Spirit's gentleness, the Spirit's healing, the Spirit's wisdom, and the Spirit's power. We don't just believe that God can transform lives and communities around us. My gosh, we're involved in it because the Spirit's alive in us. He's the one doing it through us. And that brings me to the last part of the church that we see. Let's just grab some water. Not just a thriving family, not just a family of God, but one that is transforming our communities. Now, for the theologians in the room, you may be going, well, hang on a second, I think that's God's job, not ours. And you would be right. And this was certainly on my mind as we sort of formed this statement and chose the wording. Uh, We have a really high view of the sovereignty and the omnipotence of God, to use some sort of big theological terms. God is not restricted by us and our abilities, and our willingness to obey him. Whatever he wants to do, he will do it, and we are simply privileged to be a part of that. And so if God wants to transform communities around us, be it local communities or regions or cities or global communities, then God will do that. He doesn't need an arrogant bunch of rebellious kids to do it for him. That's for sure. And yet time and time again, God seems to choose to involve people who want to honour and serve him. 
And then he does his thing through them. It's amazing. We get to be instruments that God uses to bring transformation to lives and communities around us. Why is that? I think it's so that we can point back to God and say, look at what God has done. Because we've been involved in it, we can say, look at what God has done. Look at the joy he's brought to my life and to the life of others. Isn't he good? Isn't he merciful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? So I don't have a lot of time today to talk about what transforming our communities might look like. We don't really know anyway. I mean, it could be anything. It's the life of a thriving family of God that's overflowing into the lives of others who are prodigals and turn their backs on God but have been welcomed back unconditionally into the family. And we'll have lots of time this year to explore how to do that, how to live and love like Jesus. That is our mission. And to build on the already amazing ministries and groups and the generosity of this church and the expressions of love of this church. But what I want to give some attention to today, just briefly, is the motivation. We see a church that seeks to transform our communities so that all the glory can be given to God. That is what it's about. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've struggled a little bit with this whole God wants all the glory thing. Now, doesn't that make God some kind of uh, like a self-seeking, egotistical, divine attention seeker? Well... Maybe not. I want you to think about a painting for just a second. I'm going to try and be very careful taking this off. A, a painting, uh, an artist paints a painting to kind of invoke a sense of joy and of emotion and, and in the person who views it. An artist, they want the painting to be a thing, thing of beauty. And finesse, and so people go, wow, that's amazing. And, and maybe they'd say, you know what, I really like this in my home. Or maybe they'd even say, I'd really like to see more of this artist in a gallery. But if the observer, the person looking at the painting, was to say to the painting, I'd really like some more of this beautiful uh, creativity in my life, and then they ask the painting, to make their life have the same beauty and creativity as it has, is it going to do much? If I was to ask the painting, can, you, can, you ha- can I have some of this? It's, it's just going to sit there. Now, you can try. You can make photocopies of it. You can Instagram it. You can try and tattoo it on your arm if you like. It's not going to work. But if you were to go to the artist and say, what you created here... I need some of that in my life. Then it's totally different. The artist isn't trying to make the painting recreate itself. The artist creates the paintings, each one unique and and beautiful and priceless, just like this one that uh, Cam has actually painted for me this week. Cam is the artist. It's an original, it's creative, it's, it's unique. It's not made by itself, it's painted by its creator. And so it is with God. He, God, wants to inspire a sense of awe in us through what he is creating. And what he is creating is transformed lives. So much so that people say, not just, that's amazing, and I want one, but they ask, who did this? 
Who's the artist? Because then, they, then God might have an opportunity to do it for them as well, to transform them into a masterpiece as well. Are you with me? God is a passionate, jealous God who desperately wants his lost children to come back to them. And so he pursues them with a fire in his belly. But he is also a patient, respectful, gracious God who waits quietly until we make a choice to come to him. If you don't want this, if you don't want his beauty in, uh, if we don't want his beauty in our lives, he's not going to impose it on us, not at all. But let me tell you, church, he is doing everything he can to show you and I this unbelievable and unfathomable and unrestrained beauty all around us, so that others will go, "Who is doing this? Who is the artist here?" And his people can then say, "Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the master creator." And that is why his pri- the primary strategy of the devil, and yes, there is a devil. He doesn't have horns and a pitchfork or anything like that. It's serious business. He's a spiritual being called the deceiver. He's hell-bent on lying to you and I so that we'll believe anything but the beautiful truth of the gospel. And his primary strategy is to, to get us to find beauty and joy in anything other than what is truly beautiful and joy-filled. It doesn't matter what it is. Money, sex, marriage, coffee, Xbox, family, Instagram, work, church, religion, anything. It doesn't matter. He'll use any of it to make sure that something is in the place of God because God's the only one who can provide us with real joy. We see a church who finds joy, who finds beauty and fulfilment, not in the things that we have created for ourselves, but in the creator, in the artist and the masterpieces that he is creating us to be, in transformed lives and communities so that we can point back to God and shout to him be the glory and honour and power and majesty. Look at what the Lord has done. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he beautiful? As we glorify God, I really believe this is with all my heart, As we glorify God, we find joy. As we glorify him, we find true joy. We join in God's work in our communities precisely because they're God's thing. So he gets all the glory and we find joy. All right, let's bring it in. This is uh, just a little of the church we see. Thriving family of God transforming our communities. Now, some of you are visiting today um, or you've been around for a while maybe at the Billabong uh, and, uh, but you don't yet consider yourself to be part of the family of God. I'm just so glad you're here. We hope that you feel like you're at home here and that you'll hang around, um, eat with us afterwards, maybe pop into the space one day, come say hi. But I also really want you to hear the gospel today. That's my heart. The gospel, gospel just means good news, an announcement of good news. I've, uh, I've been talking about children of God being like works of art that reflect the master artist. That's true of every single human being. doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. You are made in the image of God. That means you have his imprint. You have his mark on his characteristics on your life. There's just one problem. 
It's that you and I have been defiled, if you like, by sin. It's like when a beautiful piece of artwork is defiled by graffiti. It's in black too, just for good measure. Sorry, Cam. That's what sin does. It, it kind of, you can try and scrub it down. You can try and clean it up. You can pick the paint off. Unfortunately, it's just going to be ruined. This virus called sin, it, it, it destroys the beauty and the joy of God in your life. And so what's needed is for someone to wash you clean, to completely recreate you, to make you a brand new creation. And this is what Jesus does. If you allow him, he takes your life, he washes all the stains away by taking it on himself, by taking on himself the consequences of sin. That is what he did on the cross. That is the the, the message uh, of, of this story, the crucifixion. He would take all of our sin and on the cross he put it on himself, all of its consequences. And then he rose again so that he could give you and I a brand new life, a new heart, a new spirit, a new mind. And then over time continues to turn you into an even more beautiful masterpiece. Uh, this, by the way, was the real one. Gotcha. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, I actually believe that the real you, the, the, the version of you that God intended, it hasn't even been born yet. We all need to be born again. Born of the spirit and water, the Bible says, which is baptism. The real, authentic you, the way God intended you to be, is yet to be born before you have committed your life to Jesus. And having been reborn and recreated, you know what? You'll sometimes forget who you are and you'll defile yourself again. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we will do that. But even that sin has now been dealt with on the cross, past, present and future. You're free to let God keep working on you, to keep tweaking you, to keep making you someone who inspires people to say, what happened to you? What changed? You look different. If you're visiting today or don't know Jesus today, we are a church that wants to offer you time and time again that invitation to come to Jesus to let him wash you clean to give you a fresh start, to bring you joy. Now, I didn't say an easy life. It's not an easy life. It's a joy-filled life, full of purpose and meaning and hope. What he asks of you is to offer yourself completely to him. What he asks of all of us is to offer ourselves completely to him, to repent of, that means to say sorry of and turn from your sin, but also so to commit to a life that's trusting in God for everything, to go to him when you need help, when you need provision, when you need recognition, when you need worth. And the church is here to help you do that, to help each other do that. We'll teach you how to pray, how to listen, and we teach each other something all the time. If this is you, if you're the other side of this painting at the moment but you want to be a new creation to find sin, to find forgiveness from sin, 
new hope, new life. We want to know that. We want to pray for you so we can, and support you. We want to welcome you into the family of God. So I just want to pray a simple prayer um, that I ask that all of us in this room, uh, if we believe it, say echo in our hearts together, especially if you want to commit your life to Jesus today. Just pray this with me in silence and then tell somebody you came with afterwards or myself. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus to reveal who you are, God. And thank you that at the end of a perfect, sinless life, Jesus took upon himself my sin for all time. That he died a criminal's death that I deserved and rose to new life, giving me a new life that only he deserved. I'm sorry for everything I've done and will do in the future that dishonours you and that defiles the artwork that you're making me to be. Please wash me clean of my sin and give me a new heart, a new mind, a new life. Thank you for making me new. May my life always be dedicated and committed to serving you and to loving you as you help me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit to give me strength to live how you want me to live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.